It's Monday, October 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. The Public Safety Minister of Canada says that the U.S.-Canada border is closed to all non-essential travel until November 21st. So, joining me from his home in the province of Ontario, in the city of Guelph, it's Jim Gillies. Good to see you, my friend. Good to be seen. I, I always feel like seeing you is essential, but look, I'm not going to argue with the Public Safety Minister of Canada. <laughs> uh, investing in solar energy, that is a topic we're going to hit today. We're going to do a little bit of an earnings preview as earnings season uh, starts to kick off this week. Let's dip into the full mailbag. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Uh, a great nuts and bolts question from Isaac Hemingway, who writes, I was just wondering how you calculate a company's P.E. ratio when the company's net income is negative. Is it even possible to calculate? Uh, thank you for that, Isaac. Uh, for those unfamiliar, the P.E. ratio, the price to earnings ratio, maybe the most uh, often looked to ratio when it comes to investing. Um, as we've talked about before, Jim, not always the best one to look at, depending on what industry you're investing into, what company you're looking at. Uh, but to Isaac's question, uh, what do you do when uh, there's no earnings, per se? Well, the answer, and Isaac, it's a great question, and you're going to allow me to get my uh, investing valuation wonkiness on here. Um, the answer is you get a negative number, a negative P-E ratio. Now, the, I, I think perhaps a question you should be asking is, is the P-E ratio worth calculating? Um, and when you have negative earnings, I would suggest that unless there's been like a one-time write-down, uh, perhaps of a, uh, of a failed acquisition from a few years ago where they wrote down goodwill that stemmed from that acquisition, uh, if, if it's driven by a one-time ratio or one-time item, you can just back out the item and try to, you know, kind of back into, back into a number. Um, but this is a more broader question, Isaac, that you've given us here, if, if I may. And, and, and I would suggest that there is only a limited time during the life of a company when a P.E. ratio is truly useful, frankly. Um, and I, I, I will state I don't use P.E. ratios much, if at all. Uh, I prefer other valuation ratios. I prefer discounted cash flow methods. But I would suggest that a, a company, you know, if you think of a company as having a life cycle like like any other thing, whether uh, whether it's um, you know humans, governments, whatever, we all have kind of a uh, we're born, we grow, we have a mature phase, and then we uh, we tail off to um, oblivion. And in 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 the life cycle of a company. I would suggest that you know, once a company is, is, is like from founding uh, to for the first few years where things are negative and they're growing, you get a negative PE ratio. It's kind of useless, so you know don't worry about it too much. Look for other ways to to assess valuation. Uh, then you know if you have a successful company from growth in, in that incubation period, um, you know you get to a, a stage where the company is growing quickly. So think Starbucks in the 90s, for example. I mean. It, uh, I think Howard Schultz took over in the late 70s and, you know, maybe incubates the company into the mid 80s. So mid 80s to mid 90s of Starbucks, rapid growth. OK, earnings are small, price is high. So you're going to get a high price to earnings ratio. Uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because growth forgives a lot of sins. Growth, you can grow out of your, I, I remember someone close to me sold their, their Starbucks shares at 80 times earnings, a PE of 80. If she'd held it, she sold a 20 bagger from there. Okay, so she would have 20 times more money today than when she sold it. But, you know, she looked at the P ratio, which was 80, said, oh my goodness, that's too high, and she bailed early. You get to the mature kind of adult stage of a company's life. So, you know, maybe like Starbucks today, 
frankly. Uh, growth has slowed down. Or, or Home Depot is another great company, it, it very much in its mature phase, but dominant. The PE ratio is, is useful. Okay, you want to see some steady growth there. And, and so at this point, we can say, well, if, if, if the PE ratio for Home Depot, say, is, is 15 or 20% lower than it was six months ago, maybe it's a good deal today. But that's what you're going to use uh, PE ratio for is to assess relative valuation. And then finally, as you get over to the hump, as you go into the, the decline of a company's life cycle, um, you know, the PE ratio might look really cheap. I would point you to a good number of oil and gas exploration companies today where it looks really cheap and the words you want to use are value trap. You want to stay away from those even if it looks cheap or even a company that is more of a cyclical company in nature. When they look their cheapest, they're actually the most dangerous because it's the market pricing in the absolute top of the market cycle. So again, in the, 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 the birthing stages of a company, PE ratio is often negative, arguably useless, high growth stages. It is calculated. You can calculate it because it's, but it's going to be high, and it might scare you off. Maybe it shouldn't. So it's semi-useless. Um, in the mature phase, it's very useful. In the declining phase, it's kind of useless. So, and I'm going to shout out our, our foolish colleague Brian Feraldi, Chris, who who put together a very. If you, if folks want to look for him on Twitter, uh, and just like a PE ratio and 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 Brian Feraldi, you'll find he's put together a really nice. Um, uh, pictograph of this very thing I've just described. Question from Brian McCullough in Calgary, who writes, I've been listening since 2012, and I'm a member of the Motley Fool Stock Advisor Service. Thank you for the great recommendations. You're welcome. I say that like I have any involvement in stock. <laughs> we have nothing about, to do like with I'm those. the one. <laughs> um, well, well, I will say, Chris, I do contribute to Stock Advisor Canada. Yes. So, so we'll assume here that Brian, because he is from Calgary, my favorite Canadian city, um, mainly because it's an hour out of the mountains. Um, we'll assume he's a. Uh, uh, he, we assume he owns Stock Advisor Canada there. <laughs> so I'll take I'll take a tiny piece of credit. <laughs> uh, Brian continues. I've seen the ETF Invesco Solar. Uh, the ticker symbol is T A N. Uh, I've seen this ETF increase significantly this year. It follows stocks such as Solar Edge Technologies, Enphase Energy, and Sunrun Incorporated. I'm wondering if these stocks are a good buy and if they are still a good buy at these prices given their recent release, uh, given their recent increase. Uh, I will just point out, uh, just to timestamp this, uh, this ETF, Invesco Solar, hitting a multi year high today. Yes. Do you want the short answer or the long answer? Well, this is a, this is a friend from Calgary, so I, I, a fellow Canadian. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go long. How about, how about the medium answer? Uh, okay. Uh, I love this question. I am a big proponent of solar. I have solar on my house, which helps to power my mostly electric car. I'm a big fan here. I wouldn't go near this ETF if, with your money, Chris. Um, so so here, is, here is the problem. First off, um, this, is a, this is almost a textbook example of investing in the rearview mirror or using the rearview mirror to govern our investing. And I'm going to, uh, since we've already talked before we recorded about a little bit of history in Black Friday, I'm going to give you another little piece of history. Okay. In 2000, so the year, so 1999 was the, like the, the, the apex of the great tech bubble. Okay. Uh, the NASDAQ uh, index was, I believe, up, up over 80% that year. 
And so now you're in 2000. And, and, and I'm going to give a Canadian uh, cut here. In uh, Canada, we, we, our retirement accounts, uh, RRSPs, we tend, to, they, we tend to get a big marketing push to fun, fund your RRSP around February. Okay, So the first two months of the year. Um, would you like to hazard a guess at what industry was the single greatest, and it's not close, the single greatest beneficiary of new money flowing into the market in February of 2000? And if you said tech, gold star, most of the money that came in that year went into tech funds because they had done so well the year before and the two years before. This is easy money, right? It, of course, the bubble popped in March of 2000, starting off, touched off a grinding down market from March 2000 to October 2002. That killed the NASDAQ, I believe, over 65, 70% over that time. I could be wrong. So but the, the point is, you, this, these, the people who were going into tech funds at that time were investing in the review. So this ETF, you said hitting multi-year highs today, Chris. The one-year performance for this fund is about 120%, which co co you know, not, not by coincidence, is roughly the one-year performance of the index it purports to track, the MAC Global Solar Energy Index, okay? Up about 120%. But dial out. Don't look at one year. Look at five years. Five years, the performance is annualized roughly 20%. Now, five years, 20% is still pretty good, right? But realize you're getting this last year, which has done up 120%, is influencing those five years, okay? So it's probably had a bunch of flat to negative numbers in the first four, and then you tack 120% on, and you annualize that, and you get 20%. Dial back out even further, Chris. The 10-year performance for both the index and this ETF is negative, okay? So to put it in perspective, 10 years ago, Chris, you and I, you go put $10,000 into the market. You today, you have about $24,500. I go 10 years ago and I put $10,000 into this ETF, I have roughly $10,000, Okay, so this has not been a long-term money. This, the performance in the last year is solely because people have kind of gone a little crazy chasing these solar companies. Now, again, I mentioned I have solar install on my house, okay? And I will tell you the single biggest risk factor you should be worried about when you put solar on your house or you look at solar as an investment is that you are highly dependent on the subsidy programs within the jurisdictions where these companies sell their products. Because frankly, solar's a commodity. Inverters, there's nothing special about my panels versus yours. There's nothing special about my inverters versus yours or my racking systems or whatever, okay? In my town, I got I, I I get a little bit of a benefit because I put it I I I do net we have net, what's called net metering so I put some of my generated energy back into the grid I get some credit for that uh, it's not great but you know it it is what it is and I put it on my house because I I my background I have environmental engineering couple of degrees on that thing. I spent a decade in, in practice. Uh, this is kind of what I like. So you know I'm like oh, I took the opportunity we put it on the house. Um, I can tell you friends of mine, before the government changed the rules to go to net metering, friends of mine put solar on their house. They're getting a nice fat check every month because their system is grandfathered. Okay, It was so generous that the people who put solar in at that point in time got these generous payoffs. The government said, hey, we want to stop giving generous payoffs. And so they changed the rules to go to net metering. I don't get a check every month. That's fine. It's okay. 
Um, but I can tell you, I, I, and speaking to the installer for the system when they put on my house just over a year ago, I asked him how's business, and he basically said, when the government changed the rules, the number of installs we did dropped by almost 90%. So if that happens in any of the jurisdictions where these companies, uh, he mentioned SolarEdge, Enphase, Sunrun, these are all really expensive companies on in terms of their valuation. I think I looked at SolarEdge, it's trading almost 70 times free cash flow. You had best hope that wherever they are selling their products, they don't change the rules because if you do, that stock's going to get a lot cheaper, a lot faster. Earnings season uh, kicks into high gear uh, this week. Um, I want to get to your earnings preview in a second, but uh, since Brian McCullough brought up uh, Stock Advisor, uh, for those interested in our Stock Advisor service, you can go to stockideas.fool.com. Listeners of this podcast get 50% off. Speaking of things getting a lot cheaper very quickly, uh, stockideas.fool.com. If you're not yet a member of Stock Advisor and want to kick the tires on it, um, what are you watching this earnings season? Keeping in mind that uh, we'll have a, a presidential election here in the United States, are um, you really? We, we, yeah, you might have heard Hadn't something heard. about that. Hadn't heard. Um, we're going into you know uh, uh, the most crucial season for uh, retailers. Um, what is? It can be a company, it can be an industry, it can be uh, an executive. What are you watching? Well, I am like a kid in a candy store for the upcoming earnings reports, Chris. Uh, because I like, and it's, 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 it's kind of sad, frankly, and it's not, it shouldn't be popular, and, and frankly, I should probably seek help. I like looking at stories that don't, that don't fit into easy headlines. I like pulling apart earnings reports to find hidden value, if you will, or to find things like, you know, you, I, we mentioned earlier, remove one-time charges and, and, and adjust numbers. Um, I, I happen to think that's the cornerstone of, of my personal investing edge and my personal investing style is looking for, you know, things that aren't what the headlines make them seem. And we are coming out of a pandemic, or we are still in a pandemic, I suppose, but but we're coming through, we're seeing how the pandemic is impacting earnings reports, has impacting company financials. And my goodness, all you have, every company, every report, you have to adjust and interpret. And, and it's just, again, it's, it's, I'm not fun at parties, but this is kind of what I like to do. Um, so what I think is interesting is the story is the broad pandemic recovery or not. I mean, we are seeing some things manifest in quarterly earnings reports. We've already gotten a few previews because of whether companies are are off a, a, a calendar year cycle. So we talked a couple weeks ago about Levi Strauss, for example the jeans maker. They had a much better quarter than expected. The stock reacted accordingly. We've seen the big banks in the U.S., which are, you know, are on the same calendar cycle, but they, they have reported, most of them. Uh, and the, the, the thing that comes across from those is that they have all pretty much pulled back on loan loss reserves. I mean, they all pretty much easily surpassed expectations because they pulled their loan loss reserves in. Now, are they gaming the system? We, we also talked previously, I believe, Jamie Dimon says, well, we think, uh, he's CEO of JP Morgan, as you know, he said, well, we think we've done the right thing. We think we've uh, reserved accordingly. But if things go south again, maybe we have to put another $20 billion in. But if things are good, maybe we take $10 billion out. So there's all kinds of things moving. Uh, there's a Canadian restaurant franchising group that I follow called MTY Food Group. Um, they had a much better 
uh, quarter than a lot of people were expecting. The stocks reacted very well, mainly because their two biggest concepts are pizza, what's more deliverable in a pandemic than pizza, and ice cream. Well, you know, the world shut down, you know, but hey, you can still go out for ice cream. So, uh, you know, the, it's it's how those stories, we've got a smattering of them, and like as I mentioned in these uh, one-off reports, we're about to get the fire hose where everybody reports how they've done. And I'm really intrigued to see a number of restaurant companies, uh, a number of just general service providers. Uh, retailers, of course, are going to be interesting. So it, it's to me, and, and also REITs. How are the REITs doing if they are renting property, say, to say retailers, movie theaters, that sort of thing. So it's you know basically the general theme, pandemic healing or not, as the case might be. A lot to pour over. That's why it's my favorite season of the year, and I love that it comes four times a year. Uh, <laughs> before we wrap up, quick shout out to my sister. Today is her birthday, and she'll be listening to this tomorrow because that's uh, that's <laughs> how she consumes. So, uh, so sis, I love you. Happy and birthday yesterday, Jim Gillies. Always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.